God's got a message that he wants to share with us through Zane today. And uh, is that your phone, bro? Oh, okay. I'll just ignore it. Okay. Go away. Shoot it. I'll just ignore it. It'll go away. Morning, y'all. Morning. How y'all doing? Uh, I want to give you forewarning. Um, as I was talking with Pastor Eddie um, last week, I told him, man, I don't really have a message for Jericho. But I do have one for later on in Hebrews. And so he was like, well, man. Oh, it's just God. We'll call him back later. You don't have to answer that. You can answer that at your own. Anyway, as I was saying before God so rudely interrupted me with a phone call. Uh, God began to show me something later on in Hebrews, and, and Pastor Eddie told me to, um, let's just pray about it, and I'll start preparing to preach Jericho. And um, as I was getting up in the mornings and praying and reading the scripture, I was like, man, I got something for Rahab too, which is next week. And so I texted him that morning and was like, you know, this is what I've seen on Rahab. And then the next morning I got up and I'm reading the story of Jericho and Hebrews and um, I was like, dude, I got something on Jericho. <laughs> so I text that to him and uh, yesterday as we were talking, I was like, man, I got a really long message to preach. God gave it to me backwards. <laughs> and um, I was like, I think we need to do it in three weeks. And so... This is the forewarning. I'm preaching uh, three weeks on a title I call The Call. This week, next week, unless God interrupts us with something, we'll finish up Hebrews, and then we'll get the whole just of it when, we, when Pastor Eddie preaches Hebrews 12.1, because it says, therefore, therefore. And I can't wait for that message, therefore. But the reason my phone rang this morning is because I set that up. And the reason I so nonchalantly tried to ignore the first call and then looked to see who was calling on the second call and figured that I was too busy to answer the call of God in my life, that I would call him back at my convenience, was for an illustration. Because so often that's what we do. He calls, and by mercy and grace, he does continue to call. But what happens, and this will be part of next week's message. Next week's message is going to be tough. What happens when he quits calling? See, we think that we can pick up that phone anytime we want to because we treat people that way. We think that we can go through life and that phone, that call of God can ring and ring and ring in our souls. And, and at any moment we think we'll be able to pick up that phone and we'll be able to answer it. And so today's message is kind of encouraging. We're going to talk about the promised land. We're going to talk about by faith the walls of Jericho fell. And um, what God showed me was five steps five things that we do to enter into the promise, the ultimate promised land, 
The ultimate promise for us is heaven. But we have a position here on earth that God wants us to inherit. A position that um, our promised land on earth we have to battle for. Just like they had to battle for Jericho. But if we battle in obedience, it doesn't necessarily have to prove to the world that we got faith, but it proves to us that we got faith. And I don't want anyone to sit. Uh, you know, I used to tell Mikey, and then when I, when I had this Wednesday night class, I used to tell these guys, I don't want you guys to come in here and sit under me and get up and leave this place and die and go to hell because I haven't showed you what God showed me. Because I haven't shown you that, um, that this faith that we say that we have by faith, by faith, by faith. We have been the longest. Um, we have preached the, the chapter of Hebrews 11 about as long as any church, I think, can preach a chapter in a Bible. We, have, we haven't dragged this thing out. It's just so much there that God wants to show us. And, you know, I don't think that the writer of Hebrews would have went through methodically by faith Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Jacob. I, I don't think they would have methodically went through all these people. And then if we picked every person out that it went through, we'd be doing this next year at this time. But what he's showing us is that uh, these people showed their faith showed up in their action it's what jesus preached it's what his brother preached it's a faith that displays something and so when we receive this call this call to the promised land when we receive this call it is with great urgency that we need to pick up the phone it is with great urgency. Next week, I'm going to go through a, a passage in Matthew and, and show you one of the really cool things I, I love about the Scripture. A thing that will tell you, well, I don't have to worry about whether or not I'm hearing the voice of God um, because he teaches us how to put um, his talents, if you will. That's the Scripture we're going to go through, Matthew 25. He teaches us how to put his talents to use. He teaches us how to take what is valuable to him that he imparts to us and he teaches us how to invest it. And so we don't have to worry about whether or not we should act when we think we get that call. We just need to begin acting because I'm going to tell you uh, marching around a city that had the, the most fortified city of the day for seven days and on the seventh day, uh, marching around the seven times was a pretty crazy way to take a city, you think? Amen? That's a pretty strange way God chose for these people to take a city. But it was their call. That's what he called them to do. He could have called them to storm the city so that they could they could, might think it would be by their power or by their might that they took that city. But God showed them that it's not by power nor by might, but by my spirit Amen. that you take fortified cities. And all of us have some kind of fortified city 
in our life that we need to take. On the other side of that wall is a promise. But here's what I want you to know. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. What I want you to understand is you can't take by force what must be possessed by faith. See, it takes faith to do what they did. And you're not going to be able to force your way into the promised land, what God has for you here. But you can, by faith, take it in perfect obedience. Um, I've often said this, and I kind of learned this throughout the years, that we talk about the reason Moses couldn't enter the promised land because he got mad and, and hit the rock, and he basically he didn't obey God. But I want you to understand something. It goes deeper than that. Moses represented the law. And by works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. You can't inherit the promises by works of the law. But you do inherit them by works of obedience. That, that, there's a difference. There's a difference between works of the law and works of obedience. James spells it out. Faith without works of obedience. Is, is dead. Faith without works is dead. And we're going to talk about that a lot. And I know I have talked about it, but we're going to talk about it a lot. I got five points because there is a process to the promise. There's a process that God takes us through to inherit this promise, these promises that we read. How do you know when uh, a promise that is in Scripture is personally connected when the, when the word becomes alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. How do you know when a promise is for you? It's when you read that verse, that book, that chapter, that whatever it is, and God opens your eyes to it, you know that that promise, whatever it is, whatever your promise is, I bet every person in here has some promise circled in their Bible, something that they grasp a hold to. Uh, mine is the end story. I love all the stuff that he gives us on the way to get there, but the greatest promise he can ever give me is to be able to walk with him. Mine is the last day. Oh, man, I love that promise. I can't wait to the day I meet him face to face. That is my promise. That is what I live for. It drives me to do what he has called me to do. I can't wait to that last day. So in faith, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So in faith, take off your shoes. Oh, step one is take off your shoes. Everybody wearing flip-flops in here today? I mean, if you can, physically, right now, I just want to ask you to take your shoes off. Man, I know this is strange, but this is actually a teaching point. I want to show you something in the Scripture, what this means. It basically means to give up your rights. You ever been in a situation where you knew you was right and you wanted to drive home what was right? But the Holy Spirit, hopefully in you, said you, you've got to give up your right sometimes to be right. 
Sometimes we got to give up our right to have the last word. Because I promise you, <laughs> you're not even going to want to have the last word the day we meet him face to face. We're going to start in Joshua 5. When Joshua was by Jericho, getting ready to inherit the promise, he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Not because of this. Not because of the, the courage Joshua has when he sees the angel of the Lord and he walks up to him. I can see Pastor Eddie. Hey, bro, are you for us or against us? <laughs> Bows up to this angel with his, uh, with his sword drawn. Look at the response, though. This is what I love. And he said, No. 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 <laughs> I love that. In other words, this, but he says, But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Or as I always read in New King James, as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. In other words, the angel of the Lord looks to Joshua. When Joshua says, are you for us or against us? He just looks at us and says, neither. I'm not either for you or against you. But I've come that you can now enter in. I've come so that you can get on the winning team. And here's what he tells him. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his faith and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? So you know the first thing that the commander of the army of the Lord says to the servant? Take off your shoes. And, and the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. Let me ask you something. What made that place holy? God was there. When he shows up, it don't matter whether it's in the bar or in the church service, the place becomes holy. The place becomes holy when he shows up. So let me teach you something what this meant. I want you to understand this. I don't want you to forget this first point because it's the most important point to inheriting the promise, to moving into the promised land that God has promised us. Take off your shoes. Let's go to Deuteronomy 25. This is a teaching point, so just pay attention. Ride with me through this. And if a man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brothers refuses to perpetuate his brother's name. What version is this? He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. So the law said that if the husband dies, the brother takes the wife or it goes to the next kinsman redeemer. And so it's pretty extreme here what the law says to do, but we see it happen in Ruth. And I'm going to show it to you in room. Then the elder of the city shall call and speak to him. And if he persists saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up in the presence of the elders, pull his sandal off his foot, and spit in his face. Pretty cool, huh? 
That's what God said do, okay? And she shall answer and say, show it shall be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of his house shall be called in Israel the house of him who had his sandal pulled off. So let me show you how they implemented it. It wasn't extreme. In Ruth, um, Boaz goes to the next kinsman redeemer of the land that uh, Ruth's husband had. And this is what happened. Then the redeemer said, I cannot redeem it. He's talking about the land for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. The reason he couldn't redeem the land is because Ruth came with it. Originally, he wanted the land, but he didn't want Ruth. And so Boaz says, well, with the land comes Ruth. And so here's what the guy says. I can't redeem it lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption. Everybody say, take my right. Take my right, take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now it was custom in the former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting. So here's what I want you to understand. The first process is you got to give up your right. Whether it's a physical taking off of your shoes or not, that's how they did it. But we first have to recognize that when we step into this place where God has promised and where he is, that it is holy. It is set apart. And it's not a game. It's not something that we try to ignore we don't just let the phone ring or we don't look at it and say it's a contractor I don't want to talk to. I'll call him back later. No, it's God. And if you're sitting here in this place, I want you to know that there's a call. There's a call on your life. And I want to go even deeper than that. I want to tell you that that child that is about to enter the earth, there is a call from God. He has a predestined plan set in place for that child. And I believe for every person who enters the earth, there is a call. But just like I chose to ignore this phone ring and we can choose to ignore it. And that's on you. And I'm going to show you the dangers of that choice next week. But for today, my encouragement to you as we're supposed to equip the saints for the working of the ministry so that you can go out and do the work of the ministry is to just pick up the phone. Pick up the phone. It's not an original illustration. It's one I learned from a guy that I loved and mentored me early in, in my walk with Christ. Just pick up the phone because there is a call of God for you. And if you ignore it, there may become a danger that that phone will no longer ring. You ever heard the term out of sight, out of mind? What happens when someone calls us and we're busy and we actually answer and we say, hey, I'm busy, but give me 15 minutes, I'll call you back. What happens 15 minutes later? 
we forget and call back. You know how many times a day I do that to the guys that work for me? Because between the time that I receive that call and thou to call back in that 15 minutes, it's a possibility some days and a lot of days that I get four or five phone calls in between that 15 minutes that I vow to call back. And that's exactly what happens to us. God calls us and we want to put him on the back burner and then this event and this event and this event and this event becomes orchestrated in our life and we forget about the call of God. And so we have to be persistent in this call. Point number two. First point is what? Take off your shoes. Give up your right to be right. Second point, get instructions. That's easy. This is the easiest thing for us to do. The hardest thing for us to do to step in is to give up our rights. Because we want to be right. But in that um, quest to be right, we're trying to determine what's good and evil. And in doing that, we're trying to determine... And, and, and make decisions from a knowledge we were never supposed to have. God never intended us to have that. And the reason it's so hard for us to discern, Hebrews says we need discernment to discern what's good and evil. I believe it's chapter 5. tells us that. The reason it's so hard for us to discern the difference between good and evil is because we're not omniscient. We don't, we're not all-knowing. We can't see the whole picture at one time. And so sometimes we may determine that something's good when it's really evil, and sometimes we may determine that something is evil when God's put it in our life for good. Because we're not omniscient, we're trying to manage our way through this world using a knowledge God never intended for us to have. He never intended for us to need to discern the difference between good and evil. And so we must get instructions. Pray. Everybody say pray. pray. And listen. Did you know if I was to break down the word in um, Ephesians 6 when it says with all prayer and supplication? If you were to look up those two definitions, prayer simply means conversation. And this is the part we forget about in prayer. Is that prayer is not me giving my bucket list to God. Prayer is having casual conversation with almighty God and then once I've had that conversation I tell him in my very limited understanding what I think I need to carry out what he's called me to do that's my supplication there's a difference so we conversate we pray and we listen because what good is it to speak 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 and not hear anything back. That's a terrible position that we're in. Is we're praying and we're praying and we're praying, but we don't hear God say nothing back. He's not speaking to us. And so, just like any relationship that you develop, you have to invest the time in getting instructions. Pray and listen, Joshua 6. Now Jericho was shut up inside and out because the people of Israel... Uh, they were scared, by the way. We're going to learn that next week. None went out and none came in. <clears throat> and the Lord said to Joshua, 
See, I have given Jericho into your hand. What did he say? The tense in given means what? Already done. Complete. I have already done this ahead of you. I have given Jericho in your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city and all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you do for six days. March around the city how many times? times. One time for how many days? Six days. Six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets, rams, horns before the ark. On the seventh day shall march around the city seven times. On the seventh day, how many times? Seven. What's the priest doing? Bearing the trumpets. Uh, And the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet... All the people shall shout with a great shout. On which day? Seventh day. See, y'all are getting instructions. And the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. (coughs) Point number three, communicate the plan. You see, Josh received this instruction. He was praying And he was listening. But then he had to do what? It's very difficult for men to do. He had to do what? Communicate it. (laughs) I don't even know why why men are called to be preachers. I don't understand it. Because we're the worst communicators ever. But the, the call to inherit the promise and to answer this call, we must, we must be able to communicate the plan. We got to be able, do, do you know that um, Joshua didn't tell Tom over here and Eddie over here and Debbie over here. He didn't communicate this plan four times because if I told Tom to tell Eddie, to tell Debbie, to tell Roger, what would happen to the plan once it got to Roger? It'd be a little distorted, wouldn't it? No, this is community. When we come together, Monday nights, Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights, small groups, that's what we're doing. Man, this is what God's showing me. I came into Bible study the other Monday night, and I said, man, I don't know how to process what God's showing me, but this is what he's showing me, and it's strange, and this is how he spoke it to me. And we, when we got to talk about it in that, that night in class for a little bit, but we have to be able to communicate the plan. We have to be able to um, tell one another and share with one another what God is showing us individually. Um, Because someone else had to tell me. You know how Roger told me, hey, bro, your phone's ringing. And Pastor Eddie said, hey, your phone's ringing. Someone had to tell me that my phone was ringing. I never would have knew my phone was ringing If a man hadn't come to me and said, I really don't care what you say. God's called you to teach and preach. And one day he's going to pull you out of what you're doing. And that's what you're going to start doing. Little did I know eight years later I would be here doing this. But it was someone telling me (laughs) my phone was ringing. Someone was communicating what God was showing them. And oftentimes in our lives, 
God is going to put someone there to show you, to communicate with you. I don't know why he uses people to save people. I don't know why he uses the foolishness of the message of the cross to be the power that saves people from the grasp of hell. I don't know why he does it, but I know he uses communicators to communicate the plan. And so let's see how Joshua did it. <clears throat> so Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, go forward, march around the city. Let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. Uh, and he said, go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. So what was Joshua doing? Communicating. He was telling them what to do. He got the instructions, then he went to him and said, listen, this is what God has told me to do. The generation before us, they didn't get to do this. Their call was to bring a nation out. But they didn't want to exactly come out of the nation. They wanted to escape all the pressures. Man, I hope y'all see this. They wanted to get under, from underneath the tyranny of Egypt. They, they wanted to get from underneath the slavery of sin. But they didn't want to purge the sin from themselves. Amen. See, that's the problem with us. It's a partial, it's a bewitched gospel. When it doesn't have the power to pull the sin out of us, it's partial. It's bewitched. And that was the issue. And God said, for these reasons, because you wanted to get away from all the tyranny and all the pressure, you wanted to get out from underneath the slavery, and you wanted to get out from underneath the yoke of bondage, but you wanted to carry all your own desires and all your own things. You wanted to carry all that with you. For that reason, you'll never enter my rest. I can't let you come in. You'll never enter into my rest. And I hope you understand this. The call requires us. It requires us to take off our shoes. It requires us to give up our rights because the places where we're now going to be stepping are holy. And they're holy because God's there and he's went before us. And he's already given to us the land that he's promised us. And so he tells them, we go to the next point. So the next thing they must do is what? Start walking. By what? So, Pastor Eddie gives me a specific set of instructions. I want you to walk down that aisle, hand this clicker to Steve, let him finish preaching this message. But I decide to go over this way and say, JJ, I think you, did I start walking? I think you should finish preaching this message, Shaden. Did I walk? Yeah. Yeah. Did I let someone else finish preaching the message? Yeah. yeah. But was it by the instructions that I received? Yeah. No. And oftentimes we get a call and we even communicate the plan and we just take off 
walking. But we're not walking by the instructions. And we got to understand, we have to walk by the instructions. And if I go this way, and I, I start to hand this clicker off to Steve, and Pastor Eddie says, wait a minute, I want you to hook a left, come down here by Ashley, get back up there and finish preaching your message that God's give you, what should I do? Hook a left, pass in front of Ashley, and finish preaching. we got to remember in the process of walking, we can't stop listening for more instructions. Amen. Listen to what, let me show you how they did it. Start walking by the instructions, and don't stop listening for more instructions. Let me ask this question. What if Abraham, when he raised that knife, had shut his ears? What would happen? Isaac would have died. But would have Isaac have been the perfect atoning sacrifice for mankind? No. no. He was simply just a picture of it. That's it. That's all he was. But God himself will provide a lamb. Isn't that right? And he did. Start walking by the instructions, but don't stop listening for more instruction. Joshua 6, 8 through 14. And just as Joshua commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded, what is this? More instruction. Was this in the original set of instructions? No. no. These are more instructions. It's not that we're always looking for God to do something new, something exciting, something prophetic, uh, something miraculous. No, we're simply walking by the instructions given for today, and tomorrow we keep walking, listening for more instructions. Amen? Amen? I can't walk on yesterday's instructions. I can start the day off on yesterday's instructions, but i got to be listening today for today's instructions Amen. because I might do something that God has not intended for me to do Amen. because I have a place. I'm telling you, we have a place where as bright as that light right there is shining in my eye like it wasn't bright enough from the sun in here. We have a place in a promised land here and now that God wants to use us to do works for his name. Let your, let your works not see, be seen before men. Let them not be seen before men. But your father who sees in secrets, he will reward you openly. Let your works be seen so that the world can see the light in you and they can say there is no other way that scoundrel Zane could go from this place to that place unless God was real. And then they begin to glorify your Father is in heaven because they see the work, the light in you. That is what, that is what we are commanded to do. This ain't casual. It's not casual because the penalty 
for not answering that phone is, is catastrophic. I want you to understand the penalty for never answering that phone, never picking it up, is catastrophic. As delightful as it is when we speak of heaven, as delightful as the idea of heaven is, I want you to understand that all throughout Scripture, it's a portrait of rest. How many of you love moments of rest? Raise your hand. Because if you don't want no rest, come on over to my house this afternoon. I got some grass to cut. I got some cleaning up to do in my shop out back. I mean, if you don't like rest, raise your hand right now. I got some work for you to do. That's a picture of heaven. And it's not that we're just going to be floating around on clouds. I want you to understand that. Rest is being, it's rest internally. We might be as busy as we are here on earth in heaven, but we'll be working for a perfect master with a perfect plan, with no outer interference. We'll be able to rest in everything we do. That was my praise for today, by the way. In all that happened to me this week, the news that I got, the 75 and a half hour work week that I turned in this week, I was able to do it all knowing that no pressure is coming on me except to bend and to mold me. God is never intending to break us, but he will. Is that what we learned on the boat yesterday? Yeah. <laughs> if he can't clean you, he'll cut it out of you. If he can't clean it out of you, God will cut it out of you. Only because he loves you. That's what we learned on the boat yesterday. But everything is designed to pressure us and to move us in a certain direction. And that, my friend, is peace. It does not matter. It's rest in all that. People ask me all the time, you must be worn out. No. I'm not wore out. I got plenty of energy to do what God's called me to do because in the middle of all of it, I'm able to rest. I want you to understand when we don't answer the call, when we ignore the phone, heaven is or hell is described as a place of everlasting torment. It's a place where a soul will never, ever enjoy rest again. Never. There'll never be any rest. Let me tell you what's going to be the most agonizing things for those who reject Christ. It's going to be the idea that they are going to hell with their sin debt paid in full. Having had their sin debt paid in full and in hell. They won't even have the satisfaction of being able to pay for their own sin because they're because their sin debt was paid in full on the cross. He didn't selectively pay for sin. He died for the sins of the world. Having had their sin debt paid in full because of their unbelief, now they're in everlasting torment. Because they chose to reject Christ and what he did on that cross. Everlasting torment is knowing that I had a ticket. I had a free ride. It was all paid for it, and I chose to take this train to hell anyway. Can you imagine that feeling, knowing? Have you ever had a situation in your life where it was all done and you messed it up? Have you ever been in that? 
You, you ever had that agony of knowing, man, if I would have just slowed down, if I would have just made this decision, I just didn't know that it was all taken care of around me, and I messed it up. I, I spent that money I should have spent. I, I blew that business I should have blown. You know, for whatever it was, I messed it. I, I was set, and I messed it up. Now could you imagine feeling that pain, that agony for all of eternity? That's what it's going to be like. It's going to be the revelation that my sin debt was paid. And I don't even get the satisfaction of paying. I can't even, I can't even sit here in this place of everlasting torment and say that, that my sin brought me here because it was taken care of. It was done. That's everlasting torment. Let me get back on this sermon, though. <laughs> But Joshua commanded the people new instructions. You shall not shout or make your voice heard. In other words, he was telling them to do what, Steve? Be quiet. Just do what I tell you to do. Sometimes you don't have to talk. Sometimes it doesn't require us to speak. Sometimes it just requires us to walk. And so this is what he tells them. Don't shout. Don't make your voice heard, nor shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Oh boy, that's going to be a good day, by the way. Then you shall shout. I want you to understand that um, some of us think that these instructions are for our times of worship, but I'm telling you in those times, shout. As a matter of fact, I can show you over and over and over and over and over and over in the book of Psalms where he commands us to make a joyful noise. It ain't got to be joyful to your neighbor, by the way. Just got to be joyful to him. It's a heart crying out to him. Because my neighbors know that I don't make no joyful noise in worship. Verse 11, so he calls the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once, and they came into the camp and spent the night. So what did they do? Did they follow the original instructions? First day, they went around the city. How many times? One time. Second day, they rose up early in the morning. The priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on. And they blew the trumpets continually. But did they speak? Why? They got new instructions. And the, and the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city how many times? Once. Once and returned into the camp. So they did this for how many days? They're pretty good, ain't they? So if God tells you, to, if he gives you your instructions for this week, and they look something crazy like this. You going to pick up the phone? Or are you going to ignore the call? Because I want you to understand, they, they, it would have been another generation dying in the wilderness had they had tried to take this land any other way. How many generations will we waste trying to answer the call or do it or get to heaven or do ministry our own way. 
How many generations are going to suffer? Only on number four? Oh, you did this over, right? Yep. Good job, JJ. So to reiterate all that, start walking by the instructions, but don't stop listening for more instructions. The second half. On the second day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city. What day now? Seven. seven. Uh, in the same manner, seven times. It was only on that day they marched around the city seven times. Only that day. At the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua gave them what instructions? The first set of instructions or the second? The second, the new instructions. Joshua said to the people, what? Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that was that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord. I want you to understand this. This ain't something that um, I, I learned new, but I want to ask you a question because it's important that we, in my mind, it's important that we discuss this right here. Why was Jericho devoted to the Lord? Anybody know? Chris, I know you know you're not allowed to answer. Because it was the first city. That's why it was devoted to the Lord. And anytime God is bringing us into a promise, the first fruits are always His. And that's what it says, and the city and all that was within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. It was His because it was the first. Everything else that they were to conquer after that, they could divide the spoils as they pleased. But that city was God's because it was first. And I'm telling you, this is important that we understand. It's not that God won't take the second place things in your life. It's that he can't. And he can't because he is a word we call preeminent. That means he's before all things. And so when we begin to inherit these promises, when we're walking and we're taking what God has given, we've got to be careful to make sure that he gets the first fruits back. If he wants to destroy it, it's his to destroy. But it's his to do it with as he wishes. Then we come up to next week. And only Rahab the prostitute and all who are within her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep for yourselves the things or keep from yourselves the things devoted to destruction. Lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the whole camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. So let me ask a question. In our walking and in our receiving new instructions, is this old instructions or new instructions? When we receive these new instructions, if one member in the body of Christ messes up, what happens? The whole body suffers. If one, if one finger, broken knuckle, on your body suffers 
Does the whole body suffer? Can the rest of the body say, I don't need that pinky finger? No. The whole body suffers. It's, this is New Testament. It's not just here. This is what Paul teaches us. So what do we do when we break a finger? We nurture that finger, right? We wrap it. We nurture it. We tend to it. When one of us is broken, do we cast them to the side? No, we nurture them. We don't have the option to cast them to the side. They must be nurtured and cared for. And so when we receive these new instructions and we choose not to obey them, is it just us that suffers? Steve, can I pick on you? God tells you to do something and you refuse to do it. Is it just you that the consequences come to or does your whole family suffer? How about the body of Christ? Does the nation then begin to suffer? Can a whole nation be brought down from one person? Yes. This is how God knitted us together. He chose to do it this way. So this is what he tells them. Keep, for your, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the whole camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord because they were the first. Number five, and we're about to wrap up, simply take possession. Listen, God's not going to walk us and walk us and walk us to a place that we can never possess. He didn't... How long was this process? How long was this process? I know I preached on it for six hours, but how long did it take him? Seven days. It was a week to walk into the promise from this point. But if we back up, how long did it take those people to be prepared to enter? 40 years. It took them 40 years to prepare for this seven-day march to take this promise. But if we would just pick up the phone and begin the process, we can take what takes so many people a lifetime and do it in this short period of time. All he's going to do is mold us. All, he, all he's going to do in this process to the promise is see where we're at. See if we're willing to give up our rights. If we're willing to get instructions. If we're willing to start walking. If we're willing to receive fresh instructions along the way. And then, most definitely, we must be willing to take possession of the promise seven verses and we're done so the people shouted and the trumpets were blown and soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet the people shouted a great shout why because that's what they were told to do and the wall fell down flat who said the wall would fall down flat god did ain't that amazing when we come up to this wall in our life, I'm looking at one of those walls in my life right now, and I'm looking up at it, 
And, and I'm asking, what is my instruction? I need wisdom and discernment right now to determine what is my instruction that if I do this your way, I don't have to take it by force. I don't have to fight, which is what I want to do. I don't have to do any of those things. I can just look up at this great wall and say, okay, what are my instructions? And start walking. And as I'm walking, look for new instructions along the way so that I can then take possession. The wall fell down flat so that the people were able to just walk right up into the city. Every man straight before himself. So if we surrounded this room with every person in here, no one had to walk to the right and no one had to walk to the left. They were able to go straight into the promise. There's instructions all throughout the scripture for us not to walk to the right, my other right, or to the left, but just walk straight ahead. And that's what it says. Every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men, women, young and old, sheep, donkeys with the edge of the sword. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go to the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went out and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. I ain't got time to go in why they did that, but maybe we'll get into it a little bit next week. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron they brought into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute, which is where we're going next week, and her father's household, and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent out to spy out Jericho. If you don't know what God did in her life, come next week because you're going to learn it. She became a pretty important person in the lineage of Christ. Uh, Joshua laid an oath on them at that time saying, Curse before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn, he shall lay its foundation, and at the cost of his youngest, uh, shall he set up his gates. You think God's pretty serious about this yeah. instruction that he's given? Yeah. You think that uh, you could just nonchalantly uh, get this instructions and obey it at your own time and will and with your own purposes? No. This is serious matter. It's not just life and death. It's eternal life. And death. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land. Number one, Take off your shoes. give up your rights. You say, I'll say what's in parentheses, you say the number. Number two, pray and listen. Number three, simply share what is God is showing you with others. Are we not here to help each other see life from God's perspective? No. That's what he's doing. We just simply communicate what he's showing us. 
Number three, by the instructions for more instructions. Pretty simple, huh? Number five, let's pray. Father, I thank you today for this message. Uh, Father, not because I'm preaching it, but because often like you do when you show me something, you make me walk through it. And Father, I know you don't open our eyes to anything in the scripture unless it is showing us something to correct or showing us something for the moment or showing us something for the future. And so Father, I pray that the promise today sets deep in our heart and we begin to desire your promises like we've never desired them before. And then, Father, that desire will simply show itself in the process. It may not be exactly like you've shown it to me. This is the process you've shown for me. But I know, Father, at some point we have to surrender. We have to pray. We have to listen. We have to be able to bring people along beside us to communicate with to encourage us. There has to be a body of believers. No one can inherit these promises on their own. And so it takes a family. And Father, I know that we have to continue to listen day in and day out for these instructions. And Father, I know that at some point we have to be brave enough to walk straight ahead and possess what it is you're telling us to go and possess. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us the courage and the strength. And, Father, where our hearts are faint and they do not will to do your will today, Father, I pray that this message not only comes in word, but it comes also with power, the power of the Holy Spirit to ingrain in us, to empower us to actually go and do what you've called us to do. And Father, I pray that if we have not been picking up that phone, if we've been ignoring this call, or if we've never heard the call, or if we think today, Father, we'll just answer that call in due time. Father, I pray that today that you, your spirit, would quicken us would awaken us to see that tomorrow that phone may stop ringing. It's not by chance that this phone on my hip, Father, quit ringing throughout this whole message. Father, it's because no one was calling it. And so, Father, I pray that, <clears throat> that through your mercy and your grace, that when we're hard-headed and we don't want to pick up the phone and we want to ignore the call, whatever it may be, Father, I pray that through your mercy and grace you don't stop calling. But I know at some point, I don't know where that point's at, but I know at some point you will. If any of us today are in that process of hearing that call, Father, I pray that you, that you help us to start this journey, that today we would take off our shoes that we would give up our rights to be right and pick up that phone and say, what do you want me to do now, Lord? 
Father, I pray as we sing this song of worship that every heart lift up to you in worship. That it's not just the end of a message or something that we do in churches, but it's a moment to take, to reflect, and to ask you, Lord, to ask the spirit that supposedly that he lives in us, that empowers us. What do you want me to do with what I've heard today? Father, I pray during this time of worship, if we need to come to you in any way, that this become an atmosphere right in this moment as we sing this song, an atmosphere where a heart can reach out to you and ask, what do I do with what you've shown me today? Father, I pray that we take this time and that we don't take it for granted or we don't take advantage of it or we don't think it's just something that we do at the end of service. But it's a time, Father, where we hear the words of this song and our hearts cry out to you, what do I do? Father, move us today and move us this week in any part of this process that we're in. Father, there may be some here today that are standing at the walls that simply need to walk in and take possession. They've marched around the city. They've got instruction after instruction, and they're listening for new instruction. And Father, this is only the first city. There's many cities to take after this city. And so help us, Lord, to understand that we may walk into a promise today, but there's more promises coming. There's more cities to take. There's more work to do. That this isn't our time of rest. We may enjoy peace and we may get rest while we're here, but we're not here to rest. We're here to work. And so, Father, I pray that um, wherever we're at today, I don't know every situation, but I know you do. Wherever we're at today, Father, that your Holy Spirit will show us exactly what to do and where to go and how to walk. And I believe you'll do it. And I believe you'll do it again. In Jesus' name, amen.